0: Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, once again we come before You and implore Thy divine goodness that You might bless us in the continuance of this worship that truly the things that are said would be in agreement with Your Word and honoring to You, thereby knowing that it is essential that we give the more earnest heed Under the things that we hear, lest they slip. That we would hide thy word in our hearts and souls, and that it would bring forth fruit in our lives as we go about in our daily activities. We are indeed frail creatures. Though we believe that God has worked a work of grace in our hearts, we identify with Paul in recognizing the wretchedness and sinfulness of of our flesh. Someday, our God, we will be ushered into Your presence and we will not battle sin anymore. We will not be Lethargic. We will be satisfied, content. We will be active. I don't know what we'll be doing. Somehow we will be praising and honoring you. Whether we have harps or not we may have we may some may have but we will praise you in some majestic way that we have never known on this earth And we'll not know until that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we would ask Your blessings on those that are at the point of death. that you would comfort the family, give sustaining grace, and one that we know of that is at the point of death that it doesn't look good. Thou knowest the, the heart. We have no final judgment on that, but from all indication of their past and even present conversation, we would ask that You would have mercy upon them and be with their family who grieves for their soul. We ask that, again, that you would have mercy on our nation. Some of the perversions and twisted lifestyles, we uh, can scarcely believe sometimes the depth of the depravity of man. And even some of it is near and dear to some that are close to us. Oh, God, we plead for Your mercy. We don't deserve anything but destruction we would pray that you would have faithful ministers to faithfully proclaim the, the truth of the Gospel and Thy Holy Spirit would accompany it, that it might go forth and that it might bring fruit in the lives of many. We know that all men have not faith. We recognise that. But we do not know uh, who is and who is not. You haven't put a uh, a mark on someone to tell us who is a child of grace and who is not and if He is a child of grace, whether He's been regenerated or not. But help us to be faithful in preaching the Gospel. And even uh, ask that You would, again, bless that Gospel to go forth with power. We ask that You would be with us now as we endeavor to study Your Word and ask that the things that are said would be profitable to the souls of all who hear. In Christ we pray. Amen. We come back to 1 John chapter 3. Last Lord's Day, we never did get past uh, verse 1 and still are in it uh, somewhat today, but we mainly talked about, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And we pointed out this word, behold, is a, a strong word. It's not just kindly, casually, hey, look here, but sit up, pay attention, uh, look, behold, this manner of love. We try to talk about this somewhat, some of the things about this kind of love that the Father hath bestowed upon us. Now I'm going to read the first three verses and we'll see how far we get in that today. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon the, us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. This uh, word for call is used in uh, various ways throughout the Scriptures. Sometimes it has to do with the effectual call that is when God uh, calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. When we're born again by the Spirit of God. Sometimes this word is used to denote the gospel call. The same word, the context bears it out, that where the gospel is preached, it is proclaimed out to all men, and obviously only those who uh, are born again by the Spirit of God will Hear that call. You know, we read sometimes, uh, many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, when we preach the Gospel, we call all men everywhere to repent. But not all men will repent. We don't ask them... uh, to create faith within themselves, because uh, faith is a gift of God. But yet, at the same time, we call upon them, we uh, and proclaim to them that the gospel is for those who believe. And if you're not a believer, they can't they can't believe on this on themselves. Belief too is a gift of God, according to. Uh, Philippians one twenty nine or one twenty 120, one twenty seven, I believe. Let me turn back there and make sure I give the right passage. Yeah, verse one twenty nine. For it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, not only is faith a gift of God, belief is a gift of God. And yet, at the same time, uh, God doesn't believe for us. We are the ones that do the believing. You say, well, uh, how does all that work together? I don't know. <laughs> uh, God doesn't tell us how all of that works together but, uh, and how, uh, how the Spirit works and we work and the Spirit leads and guides and we work. And, you know like uh, Philippians 2:12 and 13 talks about <clears throat> uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both are true and we have to proclaim the truth of the scriptures but but uh, and so like I said this word, Call is used in many different ways. It's, it's, it's used over 147 times in the Scriptures, particularly the New Testament. But we'll look at a, a few verses where this Greek word is used. But here it's just showing a designation. Uh, it's a descriptive, as you please. In other words, in Matthew chapter 1, Familiar passage of scripture, <clears throat> Matthew one twenty one. Excuse me, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. In other words, it's. It's, a, a, it's used to designate uh, a description. He's to be named Jesus. It didn't make Him Jesus. And obviously, it's not used here for regeneration because Christ didn't need to be regenerated. And obviously, it's not used here in the Gospel way of calling one to Repentance. But it is used to classify or to uh, uh, what's another word to describe or designate his name. Dropping down to verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And then again in verse 25, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Look in Luke chapter 1. We see it used accordingly in Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 verse 13. And the angel said unto him, that is to Zacharias, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall, hear, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, who is it that named Jesus? It was God. We saw that in Matthew 1. Who is it that named John? God. Here in Luke 1 thirteen Drop down to verse thirty one The angel speaking to Mary and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus So from what we read in Matthew where the angel was speaking to Joseph here the angel is speaking to Mary so there wasn't going to be any uh, uh, discussion of what Jesus's name was going to be by the father or the mother. You know, sometimes you have a child and the father wants to name it one thing and the mother wants to name it something else. But here there there wasn't any uh, uh, any discussion about it, and obviously, obviously not with John either. Then verse thirty-two. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So this Jesus is not only, uh, this, this individual is not only named Jesus, but he's also the Son of the Highest. He's called the Son of the Highest. The Son of God. Drop down to verse thirty five. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Son of the highest. Jesus is going to be called. Uh, the Son of God and the Son of the Highs. Drop down to verse 60. This is after Zacharias had come back out of... Uh, uh, after John was born, and uh, Zacharias... Uh, Well, let's let's just begin at verse 57 to get some of the context. You'll see here that Zacharias and Elizabeth were in agreement. Now Elizabeth full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son and her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they called him Zacharias after the the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, he shall be called John." he shall be called john and then one more in luke chapter 2 in verse 21 and when the eighth day days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child his name was called jesus which was also named the angel named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb and so you see how how this word called uh, is used in in that situation, and we could give many other examples. Just as I was known as the son of Cecil Barber, I was called the son of Cecil Barber, and I was, and of course, I was named Jimmy, but. Uh, you can see how this word is used. And we find here that uh, in 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, not the Son of God. Sons of God. In other words, beloved, We are the children of the Most High God. Sons of God. You've heard me say before that I consider the barber name to be a name that I was to live in such a way that I did not bring shame upon that name. And beloved, we ought to have such a uh, spirit about us that I'm a son of God and I should live and conduct myself in such a way that it is honoring and pleasing unto the Lord. We'll get to the verse later on But as we read it this morning, that everyone that has this hope within Him purifies himself even as Christ is pure. Just as Christ is sinless, every child of grace that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, He desires to be sinless. That's what the verse says. It doesn't say that He ought to be, but it says that He not only desires it, but He actively purifies Himself. Well, we'll say more about that as we come to it. So this calling in... uh, Verse 1 is not that calling of regeneration, nor is it that calling where God elected us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But it is a descriptive of who we are. You are a son of God, a child of God. Back when I first began preaching, there was a controversy that went around among some of our people as to whether a person could know whether he was a child of God or not. Well, all anybody has to do to realize the foolishness of questioning that is to read 1 John. You know, most a uh, lot of people were saying you couldn't know whether you were a child of God or not. Well, that's in reality, that's Catholic doctrine. Roman Catholics, they don't know whether a person is really... Child of God or not, even when they die, because they go to they have to go to purgatory for a while, and they don't even know whether they'll get out of purgatory or not. And the idea that you can't know whether you're a child of God or not, and then some of some of them when they would say, "Well, you can't know absolutely without a question of a doubt." Well, nobody said anything about it without a question of a doubt. We all have doubts. We're sinners. But John says, you know. In fact, look at the 29th verse of the 2nd chapter. And if ye know that He is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of God, of Him. In other words, if, how, do, how do you know whether you are a child of grace or not? Are you living according to the Scriptures? Are you living a righteous life? Not a sinless life, but a righteous life. And if you're living like the world and living like the devil and doing the things of the world and the devil, you have no right to even suggest that you're a child of grace. you don't have any right you say well maybe he's deceived he may be deceived but he he doesn't have any right to claim to be a child of grace if he's not living a righteous life john makes this plain and he's going to make it far more plainer as we get to further along in this in this third chapter And he says, the way you live, is in verse 10, he says, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. I mean, John is saying, this is how you know whether a person is of God or of the devil. John said that. And he wrote it for us that we might know. But isn't it an astounding blessing that he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God? Not that I shall be a son of God someday. Yes, I shall be glorified someday, but I'm a son of God now. A son of God and yet a sinner? Yes, a son of God and still a sinner. But thankfully, God doesn't look at you in your own righteousness, but He looks at you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That we should be called the sons of God. A child of God, in other words. Now, I mentioned this last Lord's Day, but I want to discuss this a little more in depth today. This word called sons of God is talking about, I believe, a regenerated individual. Because if a person is not regenerated, we can't say he's the Son of God. You might say, well, you can't say he's not, he just hasn't been born again. That's true. But we can't say that he is. But when John says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beloved, now are we the sons of God. He's talking about somebody that has already been born again. Now, eventually, it will talk about every elect. Now, I'm going to... Pronounce uh, a couple of Greek words here. Not that it would mean much to you, but just so you can hear the, uh, the connection or uh, the difference. This word for son is technon, and it's used 99 times in the New Testament. It's only used four times in First John. It's used here in verse 1. It's used again in verse 2 of chapter 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Not only called, but now we're the Son of God. And it's used in verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. But there it's translated, a child. And then in chapter 5, in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children or sons of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. See, we know that we love the children of God. How do we know that when we not only love God, but keep His commandments? But then, earlier, in the beginning of chapter 2 of 1 John, we discussed not the word technon, but technion. In other words, you can hear the, the closeness of the, of the kin of those words that are similar. One's technon, the other's technion. And we looked at this word, and that that was seen in John thirteen thirty three, Galatians four nineteen, First John two one, and uh, chapter two first not only chapter verse one but twelve and twenty eight, and then we this word technon is technion is also used in the third chapter in verse seven, little children. There that's what is translated there. Verse eighteen uh, My Little Children Basically translated my little children where it's talking about uh, God's children and then it's used in first John four four and five two or excuse me five twenty one. In other words, these words are used to designate Basically, just the children of God. But there is another word that is often. That is true. Let me rephrase it. I'm trying to make it as simple as I can without. Confusing the matter. There's another Greek word that's translated Son of God, that theologians often connect it with this word for Son of God. And I believe that that is misleading. Because this other Greek word that's translated Son of God or translated Son is huyos. Now we've been talking about technon and technion. But huyos doesn't sound like technon or technion, does it? And I only pronounce those words so you can... Hear the difference, and the see, and I want us to see the the distinction. You remember not too long ago. Uh, I don't remember when it was now, uh, but it was sometime in in twenty two. Uh, we preached a message or two here on adoption. This huios for son is the Greek term for an adopted son. And like I said theologians often use the this word for being adopted that God adopts you as his son when you believe. I believe that is confusing the matter. Now, let me say this, that a child of grace that is elected in eternity and later regenerated by the Holy Spirit, is a child of grace, a Son of God. Likewise, when God elected in eternity, He adopted or uh, predestinated that same group of people unto adoption. And so the same group is also adopted in a son by adoption. So we're looking at the same group of people, but we're looking at God's working with this same group under two different ways. In other words, let me sidestep for a minute. God redeems every child of grace eventually. Or He has done in the the person and work of Christ. He also reconciles every child of grace. He pardons every child of grace. But redemption... And reconciliation and pardon are three different things. Does that makes sense. In other words, you could pardon a criminal and he'd still be guilty. I'm gonna throw in another term here. But if a person is justified, he's not guilty. That shows that pardon and justification are not the same thing. And yet, every child of grace is pardoned and every child of grace is justified. What I'm trying to say is that these terms are talking about different aspects of God's working with His people. And there is a Son of God, that's Wios, and there is this Son of God that is Technos or Technion and, and so on. Still talking about God's children, but it's not talking about God working with them the same way. we pointed out in that message on adoption that first of all according to Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 5 having predestinated us unto the adoption we were first predestinated unto this whoothesia or this adoption you're first predestinated unto it and then in galatians chapter 4 verse 4 But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that they might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see there's adoption first, and then later on the spirit of adoption is given to us. which I think is regeneration. But then you also have in Romans 8, where it talks about the fullness of the adoption. In Romans 8, verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Which is the same as Galatians 4. But then dropping down into uh, verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So the adoption thing has to do with what took, took place before the world began, predestinated unto adoption. And then they receive the spirit of adoption, whereby they're called... Uh, uh, and, and by the way, this, this huios has to do with a child that has come to of age. I'm not going to go back and re-preach the sermon, but that's the idea. Not just, not just a child that's born into the family... But a child that has come to the the age of maturity that's the spirit of adoption whereas this Technion that we've been looking at in first John is talking about just a, a child of grace that's just been re- regenerated he may have come to maturity as one with the spirit of adoption. But there may be a distinction in his growth. But in First John, it's just talking about a child of grace that's been regenerated. You say, well, adoption is talking about a child of grace that's been regenerated. Yes, but it's also the idea of uh, of this adulthood or coming to maturity, uh, and uh, in other words, adoption is being made a child legally. Being born again is being made a child naturally. You see the distinction? There's a legal term and just a natural term. In other words, I'm not adopted. I was just born by my parents and I was their child and I was their child legally by birth. Now, is their child legally by nature? But then you have this being a child legally, only legally, by adoption. Still a child, just a different way of looking at it. And like I said, uh, many commentators... Bypass Ephesians one five where it talks about being predestinated unto adoption. And I maintain there's a distinction between the two. I hope I haven't confused the situation. You say, well, it all works out to be the same in the end. Well, it might do that, but uh, pardon, redemption, Propitiation, satisfaction, justification, all of those work out to be the same in the end too. But it's looking at God's work in a different way. And I think we need to make that distinction because I believe God's Word makes the distinction. But let us not be so... entangled in the theology of what I'm trying to get at, that we overlook and disregard the effect that it ought to be upon our beings. Beloved, we are children of God. We're different. And it's not a difference that causes us to put our thumbs under our lapel and to brag about how we're different from somebody else. But can you imagine? God had mercy on your wretched soul. Why did he have mercy on you and not somebody else? Why did he make you a child of grace and bypass others? That's astounding. Let's just say there were some notable person in your ancestry. You say, well, so and so's in my ancestry. You know, I'm, I'm a product, let's say I'm a product of George Washington. Well, I'm not. Not that I know of, (laughs) anyway. But if I did, if I was, I mean, every time I got around somebody talking about genealogy, I'd bring that up. And you would too. In other words, it would be something that you might even be prideful in it. But we can say I'm a child of grace so often with just a ho-hum attitude. Yeah, I believe I'm a child of God. But to think that I'm I'm a child of the Creator of the universe, not just by creation, but I'm a child of the Creator of the universe by nature. Now that's somewhat scary to use that term. But... Peter said in his second epistle, well, I thought it talked about, well, I can't find it now, but it talked about he's given us we're, that we're partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. Well, I can't find it right now. I didn't have it written down. But think about that. Think about it, beloved. The divine nature of God is in you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're divine. And it doesn't mean that you have the same divinity that God has. In other words, you're not divine like God. You're not a little God, as the Mormons teach. No, but yet at the same time, you are partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And we we would think that it would have a, a greater impact upon our lives than what it does. you say well why doesn't it i don't know other than the fact that we still have this sinful nature and it's not of the flesh so what do you mean it's not of the flesh this divine nature That we have this this new spirit, this regeneration that's in us is not of the flesh, and therefore, there are no emotional, fleshly feelings about it. It's kind of like the Spirit of God uh, is working behind the scenes or it's working under the covers. It's there. It's made a change in us. But how much a change, we cannot necessarily qualify or quantify. It seems to be more prevalent or more manifested in some people than others. But it's still there. And that's what makes you different from the world. That's the reason you're not going after the world. That's the reason some of the things that's going on in our society is uh, repugnacious, repulsive to you. That's the reason sin that's in you is repulsive to you. That's the reason you can say with Paul, that which I love, I hate. And that what I hate, I do. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, if you're, if you're regenerated, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense to the world. But the point that I'm trying to make in all of this, that you are a son of God now. Now are you the child of God. Now are you the sons of God. Now are you children of God. You don't have to wait till you're in glory. Therefore, since you are a child of grace now, therefore, the world doesn't know you. You... According to the world, you're out of your mind. You're sick. According to the world. They don't understand you. They don't know you. They really don't want to have anything to do with you. Turn to First Corinthians chapter two. I'm going to start in verse 6. No, I'm going to come back to this because our time's about up and it, it'll take too long for me to do justice to this, but we're going to see just uh, some of this difference between us. The world doesn't know you, beloved. He doesn't want to know you. you, And in reality, you don't want to be around the world. And yet, because you're still a sinner, there's enough worldliness in you that drags you down sometimes. But anyway, let's pray. father it's astounding that we should be called a son of yours an offspring not only by adoption but even having partake being a partaker of the divine nature astounding I must profess and confess that I can say these things in my head while many times my heart is so dry to them. Oh, forgive me of such lethargic ways. Stir up our pure minds. We ask our God, by the truth of your word, in Jesus' name, amen.